Hello, I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley, and I'm her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Heidi and I want to welcome you to Open to Hope Conversations, the podcast. We believe that the greatest gift you can give yourself after a loss is hope, using this moment to connect with others who have not only survived, but thrived. So let's get started. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host. Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, we're going to have an important show today because we're going to be talking about turning searing pain into healing balm. And we have a guest who's written like 20 books, uh, an amazing person who has been in the ministry, but he's also a bereaved dad. And Heidi, you want to introduce him today? Sure, Mom. Our topic today, as you said, is turning searing pain into healing balm. And our guest is Mel Lorenz, and he is an award-winning author of 20 personal growth books, as well as his latest book, A Chronicle of Grief, Finding Life After Traumatic Loss. He has had an international ministry over a 40-year span and now supports a network of leaders from around the world. Welcome to our podcast, Mel. Thank you. It's um, a privilege to be with you. Yeah, it's great to have you on today. Now, talk a little bit about the death of your daughter. I know people are going to be interested in hearing how you have dealt with that, particularly since you're in the ministry. People are always saying, where's God and all that kind of thing. So you want yeah. to talk a bit about it? Well, it wasn't the first major loss. Uh, my I lost my father when I was just four years old. He was 26 years old at the time. Wow. And so I, I went through that in different stages in my growing up years. And then being in ministry, of course, I dealt with people having every imaginable kind of loss, bereavement, um, uh, suicide, children, elderly people, um, murder. I mean, everything you can imagine. So I was familiar with uh, grief and loss, wrote a couple of books years ago with a psychologist uh, friend, but uh, yeah, about five and a half years ago, our 30-year-old daughter, Eva, a beautiful young woman, delightful person, radiant by her own friend's uh, description, after mm -hmm. several years of an autoimmune disease, although not terminal, um, developed a, an infection and uh, just suddenly one day collapsed mm -hmm. the house and was gone. And we were plunged, my wife and my son and I, into a different type of grief that I had ever experienced before. It was traumatic grief because you start the day um, thinking life is one way. Our daughter lived with us uh, during the during this time. And then you end the day talking to a uh, organ donor uh, representative and, and a medical examiner and it just was um, truly traumatic, and we had a, a big task ahead of us to live with this harsh new reality. We can certainly relate to that, Mel, because my brother died in a car accident at 17, and like you said, one moment he was in the prime of his life at 17, and then the next moment my mother was get, you know, getting a knock on the door in the middle of the night with police officers there. Yep. You know, it, yep. it's extremely traumatic and it really blindsides you and puts your entire life into question for, for a little bit. You know, like you, I was actually around a lot of grief and loss because I was a psychiatric nursing consultant to the surgical service. 
at the University of Rochester. And I also worked on a burn unit. And mm. my son was burned to death. Um, mm. The car blew up and they burned to death. And um, so I knew, you know, I had been around this kind of thing. I'd worked with these families. But when it happens to you, whoa, yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's a different ball game, isn't it? It, it is. It's, it's like all of the normal rules of life, even though there are really no rules. Um, but all the norms of life are suddenly up in the air because you start the day. Uh, I started the day having two kids. And at the end of the day, I had one. Mm -hmm. And um, the, what struck me in this experience was how uh, terrifying it was. Um, it felt like a bear had come into the family's campground and suddenly dragged one of our family members away and this bear was still around and I, I felt like something had come into our lives that was um really really um vicious and difficult in those early days um there was anxiety and um and fear great fear I, I feared for my wife, for my son, who's two years younger than his sister. Um, and just at that point, every hour, you're sitting on pins and needles, like, uh, what has happened here and, and what might happen next? You know, one of the things that I've found is that it was like hitting, hearing their dead is like hitting a brick wall going 100 miles an hour. I think sometimes we... Um, neglect the physical impact of hearing this on the body, not only on the brain, but the whole body. And and we, afterward, we, I was scared like you. We all slept in the same room yeah. for, for a while. And I was terrified when my kids would go somewhere and I didn't know where they were. You know, it was, we were pre-cell phones. So it, it is really something. You know, Gloria, what you mentioning that made me recall. That's exactly what my wife, son, and I we all slept in our in our living room. And um, again, those early days are one thing, and and then it then it kind of changes to something else. I also had this this bizarre feeling like uh, my daughter was falling off the edge of a cliff, and I was racing to try to catch her. But of course, she already had crossed that line. She already was gone. And um, it took me a little while to realize, okay, whatever else this means, she is not suffering right now. I, I felt like she was suffering, like I needed to save her because what, right. what more is a father supposed to do but to save your kid? But right. um, that was that was not possible anymore. And um, within the first couple of hours, I thought we have entered a harsh new reality and the work ahead for our family was going to be... Um, coming to terms with that reality and living living a new life. Mm -hmm. Heidi, I wondered how you came into this as a sibling. I'm sure you're thinking about his son and, and your response also, the sibling response. Well, I guess one thing that came up to me, which was interesting because Mel, you're saying you had this dream about saving your daughter and catching her. When my brother died, my mother called me in the middle of the night to tell me and the first thing she said to me was, I am so sorry I didn't save him. Well, she wasn't even with him. Yeah. You know, it's it's she wasn't. I said, Mom, what are you talking about? You weren't even there. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because parents, like you said, have this belief that they needed to be there, even though they're they couldn't, you all couldn't have done anything. Yep. 
So, and we are aware of that as ki- as your kids, by the way. We're also aware that, you know, a lot of times parents are harder themselves. They're thinking we, we're not showing up in the same way for our surviving children. And I always say to the parents, we know you're grieving. You're not sitting at the beach, you know, with a margarita. You're in pain and you're doing the best that you can, yeah. given what's happened. Yep. And uh, as you experienced, you know, what, what you have to do is live with that reality. Um, there's no there's no skirting around it. I, I guess you could play some kind of mental games to uh, pretend like it didn't happen. But, um, you know, in, in the weeks that followed, when I would have moments during the day when um, normal things were happening and I would kind of forget for a few moments what had happened, mm-hmm. it almost came at me more viciously. Like all of a sudden somebody you know, punched me up from the side. And so this may sound a little strange. I, I almost wanted to keep the reality of this in my peripheral vision so mm-hmm. that I wouldn't slip in and out of kind of forgetting about it and then remembering it. Um, and that that's what I chose to do uh, for weeks and, and months. And, and, then, uh, and then it changes, you know, months down the road. But my book is really about that first year. I Mm-hmm. Um, what I chose to do was to write out my my experience and post it on Facebook. I'm not a big Facebook user, but I just I wanted to get the burden off my shoulders. So I posted very, very honest reportings of what I was experiencing once about once a month. And the response of people was uh, very unexpected. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You're teaching us. Um, I I know you're a pastor, but thank you for being very, very honest about all this. And it was only a couple of years later that I decided to put it into a book form. But um, yeah, the reality, you, ha- you have to, you have to uh, face a reality, even though um, by facing the reality, you don't all of a sudden make it easier. You're just, you're just living with it. So, so Mel, I know that you have been a pastor for many, many years. I'm wondering... Here you counseled all these people that had had loss and were professionally, you know, an expert in it. But then you had the personal experience. What were you surprised about? Did anything surprise you once you were living through it personally? Yeah, Yeah. the the little things that helped. Okay. Like when somebody would say, I have no words. Mm -hmm. I would tell them, you know, you have said just about the most helpful thing you could have said to me. Because when you say, I can't comprehend what you're going through, I have no words, you're telling me that you have some appreciation for the enormity of this loss. Then another thing that people would say, um, especially in the early weeks or months, is um, I'm thinking about you today. Mm -hmm. And that made me feel like somebody out there, a friend of mine, is choosing to take some of their mental energy and to hold me and my wife and my son in their minds. And as you know, going through grief is mostly about knowing that you're not alone. You're not alone in this experience. You're not alone in life. And so the surprise to me, and this is what I tell people um, all the time now, is when you've got a grieving friend, um, they're not looking for an answer to why they're not looking they're not they're not even looking for you to make them feel better Mm -hmm. um and if you try to do that you're probably going to fail but 
what they really, really are looking to you for is to let let uh, is is to know that they're not alone. Yeah, and that's something anybody can do. Mm-hmm. Anybody can do mm-hmm. to tell your grieving friend, "I'm thinking about you today." I I I, I can't imagine what you're going through. Okay. I love that. I, my mom and I talked about something before the show. I read something. I, I listened to something you had said, and I really liked it. You said. People of faith rush quickly to the blessing. Can you tell me more about what you meant? It's a complicated question. Yeah. Okay. Because sometimes in communities of faith, um, there is a there's a sense that um, it's wrong for okay. you to lament. It's wrong for you to be sad. And of course, uh, the Bible never says that. It's 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 wrong to uh, it's wrong to give exactly the opposite. And so what I tell people is lament is no less an act of worship than praise. And so um, mm-hmm. when we lament the loss of a loved one, in a way, it is an expression of thanksgiving because you wouldn't lament if you didn't have a deep, deep sense of appreciation for the son or the daughter or the brother, sister, uh, parent uh, that, that you have lost. And so Again, I'm I'm kind of on a mission to tell people um, just deal in reality. Um, it says in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible, it's it's good to go into a house of mourning. A sad face is good for the heart, which means that if you are indeed going through a time of great loss, um, it's better to just enter that period. You're living in a time of mourning, and a sad face is not a um, contradiction of faith. It can be uh, the affirmation of it. I love that. It's the affirmation of it. That's a great explanation about that because I do feel sometimes that people who can't deal with it, who are in your faith community, can sometimes say, well, you know, they're with God now or, Mm -hmm. you know, it's going to be okay. You know, it will be. And, you know, and they don't want to see you go into that space well that's true and they also don't want to feel uncomfortable themselves yeah i think the dirty little secret here is that we have a hard time entering into other people's grief because it's inconvenient for us sometimes mm-hmm. and so yeah what, what you're pointing out there glory is some of the things that just are not helpful i mean if somebody and and frankly we have very few people that just tried to zoom in and make us feel better. And I was glad for that. They knew better than that. Um, uh, We didn't need platitudes. We needed presence. Mm -hmm. Uh, We didn't need um, uh, points of faith, which we had developed in our lives anyway. We just just needed to know uh, that we're not alone. And also, the people who knew that it was okay for them to talk about Eva, you know, some people would feel like, oh, if I talk about the daughter who's passed away, I'm inflicting pain, either in the early days or in the years to come. And in, as as you know, it's exactly the opposite. Uh, the, the friends and others that talked about her let us know of anecdotes and how wonderful she was. Sure, they brought tears to our eyes, but but that was that was a huge thing. And so one of the things I tell people is when you've got a grieving friend, if you say to them, tell me about your mom, 
Mm-hmm. Tell me about your brother. I'd like to know a little bit about them. That's something that people hardly ever do for each other. But boy, is it a blessing for a person in grief to know that it's not just that they as the grieving person are in the spotlight. The, the real matter of the day is that wonderful person who's no longer around. Absolutely. So tell us something about Eva. <laughs> She's 30 years old, um, bright, intelligent, uh, artistic. She was an honest person, kept me honest. I could never get away with any hypocrisy or anything. She just, she wouldn't countenance that. Um, asked uh, uh, challenging questions. Um, told me when I was dressing in a way that made me look dumpy. Um, <laughs> she, uh, <Yes. laughs> she she wanted to write. She aspired to write, and she was an ed- she was just starting a career as an editor uh, when she passed away. So. Um, she, she was exactly the kind of person that you think, this is the type of person that this world needs. <laughs> yeah. Honest and smart. And, um, but um, she had 30 years and that was her time. My father had 26 years and that was his time. My mom died 14 months after Eva wow. at, at age 86, I think. And that was her time. And so we we all have our time. And um, my wife said to me one day, um, you know, think think of this when we were really grieving. Would you wish we had never had Eva in the first place? Or would you, are, are we glad that we had her for 30 years? And even though we had to say goodbye then, well, the answer is obvious. We're right. glad, privileged mm-hmm. to have had her for 30 years, even though that goodbye was far too soon. Thank you for sharing Eva's story and your story and all the good you're doing in the world. Where can people get your book? And do you have any lasting, last comments that you'd like to make to someone who's grieving a recent loss? Uh, Well, I'd like to say, I'm sorry that you're grieving. I, my heart goes out to you, whatever the circumstances are and grief comes in all different forms. Um, But, um, I'd encourage you to reach out to people whom you trust. Um, know that things will change. Things, The pain that you feel today is not going to stay exactly the same. It will change over time. It will get easier over time. Um, but know the people in your life whom you can trust, who uh, you can you can uh, talk to, and um, and things things will get easier for you. Oh, well, thank you for those thoughts. And where do people get your book? And do you have a website? And you got Am- books so they can get all sorts of wisdom. Yeah, probably Amazon is the easiest way. Uh, it's called The Chronicle of Grief, Finding Life After Traumatic Loss. Um, by the way, the book has been quite a journey. I've, the reactions I've gotten have been quite stunning, um, all different circumstances. But it is a chronicle. It's a real life story. And um, so I think that's why people are finding it helpful. Google my name. They'll find me all over the place. It's it's Mel Lorenz, L-A-W-R-E-N-Z. Thank you, Mel. And thanks so much for being on the show today. It's a privilege. Thank you. Thank you, Mel, for helping people find hope after loss. And thank you for reminding me that we are poor for having lost them, but we are so much richer for ever having known them. 
We want to thank everybody for joining us on the show today. And Heidi and I always want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own. And God bless. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation, where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.